Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined by Jake George Schuster, who is the innovative mind behind Gemini Sports Analytics. And he's a seasoned sports scientist with a really rich history of working across various sports and countries. Jake has leveraged his decades-long experience in elite global sports to pioneer a no-code AI platform that is transforming data-driven decision-making in talent ID, tactics, and player performance. Jake, welcome to the show today. Jay did it. Thank you so much. Jake, we're super excited to have you on. I would love it if you could kind of, at the to kick this off, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey, what got you started um, in this space. Give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I was a sports scientist working in the elite sports world. Um, I did my master's in England, my PhD in New Zealand. And when I was over there, uh, I was working for the New Zealand All Blacks rugby teams for the 2016 Olympic Games. And I had to um, design a custom program in MATLAB and Python to process force velocity and power profiling data of sprinting techniques. And it was awful, and I was awful at it. And I thought there has to be a better way uh, for people who are not hardcore machine learning engineers to get insights out of data. And that's when I had the first idea. And it was probably about six years after that uh, when I finally went full-time on, on building this this thing in my head. And we're just setting out to make it easier for teams to make data-driven decisions. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Absolutely amazing. So I recently saw that you raised over $3 million to get this whole company I can going in and kick it into high gear. But tell us a little bit about the beginning of the company. So you said um, it took you six years before you really started um, to, to get started on this. What did the beginning of it look like? Did you, you know, how did you find your first, uh, your people working on it? Was it just you at the time? Did you bootstrap? Did you raise money? Like, tell us a little bit about the beginning of the company. Yeah, so I'm a proud solo non-technical founder. Um, our first engineers uh, were all folks that I knew from my time in professional sports that had all worked for teams, um, and they came and built our, our prototype and our V1. Our first customers as well have been people from my professional network who I crossed paths with, who I wrote research papers with, that were at various professional teams well-placed to benefit from this technology. Um, I started with an angel round from people that I met at the gym and rolled that into a network effect, and we raised our pre-seed um, from a, a couple of sports team owners and VCs uh, in May of 2022. Um, at the time, since then, until this round was really um, proof of concept and, and getting those first paying customers and a, and a product in the market. And then this round included uh, nine sports team owners across all the LPs. Super, super exciting. 
Um, so what I would love to ask you about is if you could tell us a little bit, you know, for, for the listener, like explain exactly what your platform does and the problem that it's solving for customers and maybe, you know, what uh, these, your, you know, your customers are really excited about. Our product is a workflow tool, first and foremost. We're helping people do their jobs better. And that might be someone who uh, isn't a great coder or doesn't write code and wants to do some predictive analytics or, or you know, write some kind of predictive queries, um, who can now do so in a, in a point and click manner uh, without any computer code. Or it could be someone who is an analyst, who is a, a data scientist or data engineer, who just wants to do things a lot faster. There's a lot of tedious processes involved in, in sports data. And most everybody is trying to solve for the same dozen or so things. It doesn't make sense for sports teams to be their own software company as well. And so we're just helping them shortcut that process because uh, most teams will never have the hundreds of engineers that big uh, software companies and big technology companies have. So uh, executives at front offices of our teams use our product to ask questions like, how likely is this player that I might draft to have a career of longer than five years? Or rank and forecast career outcomes of a group of players that our scouts might like or oh, outline a group of different tactics or playing styles that we might have with our new coach and and these kind of forecasts typically take you know over a month to build by hand and the modern workflows uh, that big companies banks military manufacturing are, are using um, is something called auto ml and on a bigger scale ai cloud uh, automating away the most tedious parts of that process and we're just helping sports teams do it Super, super cool. Um, so I also am currently building a no-code platform. Not not anything to do with sports, but it's All the uh, cool in the AI. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's in the AI space. And a question I get a lot, which I would also love to ask you is, you know, with your platform being no-code, how do you make sure that it stays powerful enough for really detailed analysis, um, which are obviously required in, in professional sports? Do you mean in terms of complexity or ease of use? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's kind of the conception that like, oh, if it's no code, it just doesn't have the the power, the flexibility that you might be able to if you are, you know, kind of, you know, you mentioned it takes a month to do something by hand. So I guess what's your what's your strategy or your approach to making sure that this is, you know, has all the, the options and the power that um, that people need? Well, the, the first and most important thing there is realizing that you can't make everybody happy. Um, and, and we target you know, that middle of the market that our product probably isn't ready for the Los Angeles Dodgers today. Um, and there's a lot of teams that might not be ready for our product today. But for that middle 95%, really we find it, it's exciting to publish research or Twitter posts about neural networks, but most problems in sports are, are fairly straightforward in terms of the, the modeling and the complexity of the algorithms. It's more about operationalizing productionalizing those models and actually turning them into insights fast enough to make a difference. That's the challenge. So those are the processes that we're making faster. When someone wants to fine tune a model, they can use our APIs, pull it out and finish it in code, which is how that kind of tech is commonly used in other industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. I think that's a, a great response. And um, honestly, yeah, if you're, if you're targeting 95% of the market, that's, that's going to get the job done. Um, Something I'd love to ask you about is, you know, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you have faced in creating this software, creating this tool um, in, in kind of this project? From a product standpoint, it's definitely the previous topic. You, you can't make everybody happy. And I think when people are presented with, um, I'm always hesitant to use this word, but when, when you're presented with a disruptive technology that will change how you do something, there's a natural resistance that is 
somewhat illogical. It's just human nature. And so it's challenging to find the, the, the signals and the noise when people are making requests or, or um, showing resistance because we don't have a feature. And they might not actually want it. It just might be the first place that their brain goes when they're expressing normal resistance. Um, and so we have an incredible head of product uh, named Ali who, who helps to sort out that, all that noise and, and really just figure out what the right pieces that we need to build for the right partners, people who are our early adopters, if you've read Crossing the Chasm, um, and people who want to be innovative uh, and, and who are really selfless. The, the best partners we find and have know that they don't have all the answers and they know that uh, modern technology can help them get them, can help them get to their answers faster. From a company yeah. standpoint, um, really simple answer, fundraising. Uh, the environment in which we raised our pre-seed and our seed could not have been more different. And <laughs> I think that one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give for entrepreneurs out there is just be careful uh, believing everything you hear when it comes to expectation setting. Be ready for anything. Yeah. Um, I would love to to double click on that for a second because I do think that is an important piece of advice. It, elaborate a little bit on that um, in, you know, to be careful about everything you hear and expectation setting. Like, I go, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. There are a lot of amazing venture capitalists out there. And I, I love our group and I think we've found an amazing group. There's also a lot of venture capitalists that will just tell you whatever they read on Twitter that morning. And that's really, really dangerous. And they don't face the consequences of that advice or those judgments. You as the entrepreneur do. Um, it's very easy to have confirmation bias. If you think the bar is going to be lower for revenue to raise your next round and you see someone tweeting about it, you're going to want to believe it. If you think that there's lots of dry powder out there uh, and you see someone tweet about it, you're going to want to believe it. Um, but there are lots of, of macroeconomic factors out there influencing the fundraising just be really careful what your, for lack of a better term, mental models are on what you need to achieve to raise your next round. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really good advice and uh, very applicable. Um, I, I, yeah, I've, I've spoken, I've, I'm in the process of raising funding for my own startup as well and have experienced very similar things. It's, it's kind of funny to, um, Sometimes you, you know, you hear people that are like, oh, well, I mean, I don't know if your product's ready for X, Y, and Z, or I don't know if, you know, like they'll have their, they, they, people have like essentially the reasons why they wouldn't invest or whatever. And uh, it's interesting to sometimes go ahead and look up those VCs after the fact and realize, oh, they weren't able to raise their like previous round. They were undersubscribed. They, so a lot of times other people's issues kind of channel into uh, to what they're saying today. So that's definitely something I see. We can do a whole podcast on that if you want. Yeah, seriously, we need to do a fundraising AI company podcast. Well, that'll be uh that's the next time I'm bringing you back on. <laughs> Perfect. But um, going back to going back to what you're uh what you're building today, something I'd kind of like to ask you about is like, how do you think the field of talent ID and development is going to evolve um, with the adoption of AI tools like Gemini? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever reach this mythical place where a computer tells each team who to draft. However, scouts are humans and they don't have the, you know, the computing capacity in, the, in their brains or their schedules to view every player that's out there um, and judge every piece of information that's out there. So, you know, we, we would call us humans plus machines instead of humans versus machines. And I just find that if you can rank things in an objective manner or, or, um, 
put color behind what your subject matter experts might be thinking or might be writing down, um, then you can have a real data-driven operation and, and you can outsmart the competition. There's also a lot of emerging technology, um, or even I should say technologies that have been around in other industries for a while, like NLP, where you can analyze text-based scouting reports and turn that into objective information, tabular data that talks to other data that you have, like on-field metrics. So I just think teams will become more sophisticated in, in their systems and operations of how they combine different data sources more than anything. I think on TV and in marketing cases, it's really fancy to talk about the really minute details of how you're examining athletes. And it's much more about the processes and then what pieces of information do or don't get entered into the equation. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, something else I'd like to ask you about is if, you, you know, obviously this is some seriously powerful tools that you're creating and it's uh, definitely going to be helping a lot of people in those dis in that decision-making process. I'm wondering if you could discuss like a success story where once, you know, some data-driven decision-making had a significant impact, maybe on a team strategy or player performance or kind of something in that area. Give me a second to think of one that's not confidential. Yeah, no problem. I, uh, I understand that there's probably a, uh, it's, it's a little tricky sometimes to talk about it when your, your clients are sports teams and athletes and all that kind of stuff. That's okay. So I've, so I've got one. So uh, there's a team that we've started working with um, over in Europe that is uh, a traditional powerhouse, but they're currently in the second division. And okay. they are trying to, to get back up to the top level. And they, uh, as often is the case when a team is losing, they've gone through a number of coaches. They kind of have a mishmash of players that each of those coaches wanted. And they don't have an identifiable playing style uh, that can be consistent in any manner. So, you know, using our tool, they examined the different playing styles prevalent in their league, which ones uh, tend to be the ones among the teams that get promoted up to the top level, and then which ones might be feasible for their current playing group and what type of players they might go and purchase that could help them play in the style that they want. And then, of course, they went and chose a coach that could play that way. And that's just kind of those types of steps. A, a team of less than 10 people working manually in code could take a year to answer one of those questions. Yeah, I, I love that. That's an incredible success story. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to make a huge impact. And, you know, that being said, with everything going on and with everything that you guys are currently working on at Gemini Sports, where do you kind of see Gemini Sports Analytics in the next like five years? Who's using it? What's it doing? Give us the, uh, you know, the five year roadmap. You mean besides an $11 trillion acquisition by Ari Kaplan's Databricks? Yes. Besides that, what would be the what? What else is happening? That's just a shout out to our friend Ari. No, look, I, I think we have an opportunity to grow into a space that needs multiple types of products for a space that just doesn't scale. Um, I think it was Daryl Horry, um, you know, president of the '76ers and founder of the MIT Sports Analytics Conference, that said most people, if they're good, they don't stick around with a team long enough to build anything that lasts. And that, you know, there are amazing people working across global sports and, and analytics departments, but it takes time to build important systems. And so we have a chance to be sticky in a, in a market where, where they need that. And they need platforms to use, no matter who's in the job. They need education platforms for non-technical stakeholders. Um, and they need a suite of tools that just make it easier to glean information. So I don't want to reveal too much, but we've been working with the OpenAI API the last uh, couple of weeks on a little hackathon internally, um, and I'm excited to share what's next. So I think just having a, a suite of tools 
that stakeholders can use uh, is is really the next next step for us. I love it. And I will also give a shout out to Ari. I had him on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, of course, followed him on social media everywhere for the latest and greatest in AI updates. But I think I get probably more sports updates from him uh, than anything on his Twitter. So he's an amazing yeah. storyteller. We actually went to the World Baseball Classic t- together in uh, in Phoenix last year. And and he, he said it well when we've talked about this product. He's been advising us quietly for a while. And and it's very expensive for teams to build data systems by scratch. There are a few amazing success stories like the Texas Rangers who, who do that. Um, but most recognize that the cost efficiency of a sports-specific off-the-shelf solution that combines all the best cloud and ML tools that are, are used by much bigger companies. Yeah, I imagine it's uh, incredibly expensive, um, which I think probably not a lot of people know. So I guess in that vein of, in that line of, of talking, what are some other maybe misconceptions that people have about AI and sports analytics um, that maybe you've encountered, you've had to address talking to investors or other people, but what are some of the, some of the, what are the, some of the common misconceptions? I think everyone just thinks that, that there's a lot more detail involved than there actually is. Um, you know, when you have, let's say, 35 athletes on a roster and you have 100 staff running around and people change teams every six months, it's really hard to organize and have consistent systems uh, that, that end up influencing real daily decision making. And so I know on TV, they like to talk about what's in the shoe or joy dangles and and on the field and that that stuff's just actually not happening very often um nailing the basics will always be what what matters it almost anything in life um but that's really sorry about that um nailing the basics is is so important with almost anything in life but in sports that's really true where um teams are making very sophisticated decisions but the information being used to drive that um is is not as is not as space age as you might think yeah uh i think that's that's probably fairly accurate uh so one thing i would love to ask you about as well is what is something that you are the most excited about excited about in everything you're working on with ai and sports and uh yeah well what gets you like going what gets you pumped up i think it's just that this really feels like the right place and the right time and the right technology Everyone we speak to agrees on the problem solution set that it's it's too much of a headache to mobilize modern data systems and it's too much of a headache to truly drive data driven decisions with the staff and technologies that they have right now. And when I say staff, I mean the number of staff available to them. Uh, there's amazing people working across sports, but they're they're you know undermanned. So for me, I'm just excited that there's no one we speak to that says I don't think this is a problem. People will have a huge range of opinions on how data mature they are or aren't, or how much they do or don't want to pay for certain technologies, but everyone agrees on a problem. And so I just feel incredibly excited to be the first group that's trying to solve the problem in this way um, and and pursuing a solution for all of our industry colleagues. Super cool. Yeah, that, that definitely is very exciting. Listen, Jake, as we wrap up the podcast today, the last thing I would like to ask you about is... What is one prediction you have um, for where AI in sports goes or even some, I guess, some bold predictions about AI over the next three years? What are some of the biggest shifts, the biggest changes uh, that you're predicting will will happen? So the first one will be the use of computer vision. Um, I hate to keep coming back to this example. But there's a lot of marketing cases about 
um, you know, tracking technology and then how many data points it offers. We had some of the NBA team say to us recently, they used to be able to carry a, a season worth of data on their laptop, and now it's about three days. And, and yeah, this data is not being put to much of any use, unfortunately. And it's a complete headache for almost everyone involved. And so when that begins to get leveraged, it's going to get very interesting. And that would be number one. Um, number two, I, I have to give our own value proposition a, a bit of a pump up. I, I think it's all about user experience. It's all about self-service accessibility to insights. I think people will move away from wanting to ask a computer scientist a question and wait six weeks for an answer. And teams are going to start to work collaboratively where tech like ours can interface between technical and non-technical stakeholders to drive answers faster and faster. Yeah, I love that. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch that unfold. Um, and there's going to be so many incredible advancements. So I'm very, very excited. Jake, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. If people want to find out more about you or about Gemini um, Analytics, you know, where, how, what's the best place for them to find out more about you or your company? Gemini Sports with an S at the end, dot AI. Gemini Sports dot AI. Um, we're at Gemini underscore sports on Twitter. And I'm at Jake at Gemini Sports dot AI. Wonderful. Well, I will, to the listener, I'm going to leave a uh, link in the show notes so you can go check it out. Um, and thanks so much, Jake, for coming on. Thanks so much for the listener for tuning in to the podcast today. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts and have a fantastic rest of your day.